Hey there, people of soccer. This is ATL on Fire, the show where we'll be talking about everything Atlanta United Football Club. Sit back, buckle up, enjoy. We are back. It is podcast number 11, and it's been about two weeks. We are undefeated since our last cast. The win streak continues. Uh, I think our last podcast, we were on the heels of a New York uh, FC win. Correct, Dave? Correct. I think so. And then since then, we beat Club America that uh, that following um, week in the middle of the week in the Campionas Cup Um Pretty awesome game, just entertaining end to end in that one, and obviously uh, uh, a bit of a statement uh, for MLS. We'll talk about that, and then uh, we went uh, to Portland out on the West Coast and got a nice win. Uh, I think it was two nothing in that game. Uh, again, a pretty wide open game. Again, the throttle seems to be uh, full bore with us just being um, able full to kind bore. of I like yeah that. full full bore bore yeah. Uh, <laughs> Then we flew down to the Disney characters again, uh, and Joseph slotted his 12th consecutive goal for our win down there, which it was always going to be a tough game. Um, it was ugly uh, at, at points, but we got it done. Uh, now we are two days away from a U.S. Cup final at the Benz uh, on Tuesday. I'm pretty excited. I uh, was... Uh, a little good fortune had uh, a work trip that that got canceled. Not necessarily the best thing. The work work trip got canceled, but was able to uh, uh, find my way into a ticket. In case Mikey Dobbs employees are listening, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm able to to make the final of that game at home. And so uh, so yeah, Dave, thanks for for making it over. You're walking. No more crutches. How yeah. you doing? It's a miracle recovery. So, uh, you know, we start with our motto, right? We, uh, we know a lot about soccer. And I'm starting to say we know a lot about Atlanta United. Yeah. We know a fair amount about MLS, but we're going to talk about it all. Yeah, it's getting there. I feel like, uh, you know, I've started to watch a few MLS matches, which is hard to believe beyond the, uh, the Atlanta United. I've been at least watching some of the highlights on YouTube just to kind of see what's going on in the league, which... Uh, Never thought I would do, but <laughs> here we are. Um, so Dave, um, cracked open a Italian wine this evening. Um, got that at the farmer's market. What, what do you think? It's nice. It's very nice. I mean, uh, uh, we've had a lot of variety on, on the podcast, right? You know, we had the Mexican wine last week, and now we're drinking Italian. I mean, we've had wine from all over. So, you know, can you tell us a little bit about it? I don't actually know that much about Italian wines. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. Um, uh, the little bit I researched on this uh, Barbara Secco, it's a 2015 it's Italian wine. It's in the same like region where they um, they have um, uh, Barolo. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Barolo. Barolo. I Barolo. Think. So um, I guess the tannins in this are a little sharper, from what I've kind of read on the uh, uh, the Barbara Secco. So. 
I don't know. I'm enjoying it. It's um, very nice. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, very easy drinking. And our guest this evening is not a wine drinker. As a halftime Nicaraguan, uh, has probably introduced my favorite rum uh, to this household, which is Flor de Caña. And I think that's what you're uh, you're enjoying this evening. Yeah, Flor de Caña. That's yeah. that's the drink of the evening. So John Thompson joins us. Uh, thanks for making the time this evening, man. My pleasure. I'm honored, honored to be here. Welcome, JT. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, man. So uh, you guys just uh, had a had a big dinner, um, but uh, tell me uh, tell me a little bit about kind of your history with soccer in general. Um, you and I have played uh, on and off the last decade or so, and um, you know, tell me how you became an Atlanta United fan. Well, you know, I guess it goes back to uh, my upbringing here, not too not too far away. Just down the road, um, learned how to play soccer in Lake Clare, Canlan Park. Yeah. And then I went on to play a little bit in Piedmont Park and uh, kind of went through the clubs of Atlanta, including Tysa and, and DDY, where my son plays now. So big shout out to the Wolves. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I guess, you know, for me, growing up playing soccer, you know, learning from my dad and his buddies, his neighbors. Um, they didn't know too much about soccer, right? But <laughs> they had a passion for a game that was accessible to so many kids, right? Boys and girls. And um, I think that the passion for, for soccer that in the history that we all have, you know, with the game, um, kind of propels us to look for, for opportunities to grapple onto something similar, soccer and, and, a, and, a, and a city. You know, so kind of being loyal to both the sport and also the city um, to have that come full circle with Atlanta United. I, I just love it. It's an accessible game in general. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, all you need is a soccer ball in a, in a field, even or a street or a pitch, you know, anything really. And then, um, you know, having that accessibility here to, to have the sport so close with Atlanta United has just been a lot of fun. So love what y'all are doing on the podcast, by the way. I got to give you a shout out. I mean, I love you guys as people and as friends, but man, it's so much fun to hear y'all talk about football and um, and Atlanta in the same breath. It's just Thank awesome. Thank you. Well, so I was going to be, I was just going to say the exact same thing. So JT, will you tell us briefly about, you know, what you've been doing down in Nicaragua? I'm such a big fan of that. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, it's been a, an, an incredible um, experience an opportunity to really affect change. Uh, we, uh, my wife is from Nicaragua. We met in uh, 1998. Um, I was on a surf trip, you know. So yeah. me and Mike are kind of uh, kindred. <laughs> I still got to get down know? there for one of those. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, born and raised in Atlanta, so I didn't know much too much about surfing. So we went on a, a really epic road trip. And uh, long story short, um, wound up in San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. So for those out there listening who've been to San Juan del Sur, you know, it's a really special place. And I had an opportunity to make a lot of friends and, um, and even family there. And so me and my wife, we got married here in Atlanta, but we moved back to Nicaragua. And one of the first things I did through my nonprofit there was to build a, a soccer facility, a multi-use sports facility. No kidding, for kids. I didn't know that. Yeah, so we did, um, we introduced fut, fut sala, football sala. Yeah which is like an outdoor, but in, indoor soccer, it played outdoor on a lot of old basketball courts. Mm -hmm. Started there, um, and I think our first season, we had like 12 teams, and hundreds of people from the community would come out, and we, um, 
really we just put a new playing surface down, some lights, and some administration to keep the court clean. And I tell you, um, we have a thousand kids in that program now. Wow. And it's grown from soccer and volleyball and baseball wow. and basketball. And so um, that's kind of where we started. You know, soccer was such an um, important thing in my life, kind of keeping me on the rails and mm. making sure that I had practice twice a week and I game on Saturdays yeah. and I, my mom, my dad would be there. You know, so I was kind of held accountable by the game and, and the community around the game. And so for me, it was, um, it was, it was an easy decision to kind of focus my efforts on that when I first went to Nicaragua and, um, my nonprofit's grown into, you know, doing some more things with health and primary care and, you know, food security, et cetera. But, um, we still have our sports program alive and well today. So that's a big part of what I do in Nicaragua. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's some good work. Yeah, Got to so get you guys down there sometime. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm going to take you up. Do you have a, yeah. uh, a website for our podcast listeners or some way they can follow your nonprofit? I do. Comunidad Connect. So community in Spanish, which is Comunidad, Comunidad. Connect, just like in English. So a little bit of Spanish, and you know, what we do is we connect communities that care. So it's kind of a it takes a puzzle motif, right? Yeah. So we're connecting communities both in English and Spanish. And so you also have a, a farm down there where you're growing some coffee as well. You want to, yeah, so it's a fantastic coffee. Um, I, I went through the bag you gave me pretty quick. I'm gonna have to to, to re ante up. <laughs> There's a lot more where that came from. Um, yeah, you were. I noticed that uh, on the last podcast, Enrique was talking about growing grapes. In Spanish, coffee when it's when it's the right time to pick it, they call it la uh, uva, la which, uva. Is, yeah, which is great. Yeah, because it looks like a little mm. grape, but it's yeah. really dark red, and that's the it's really important to pick the uva when it's really dark red, not green or not even partly green, <laughs> okay. but when it's fully red. Really, and if you have good pickers, they can establish your 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 the cup of coffee. The experience you have every morning starts with the person that is picking the coffee and then when they do it you have to do it hand picked it's not like uh, i think with wine that they might shake the trees or olives they kind of shake the trees mm. and and coffee if you try to do that you would ruin the plant number one you'd really stress it out but two you have to pick off uh, with kind of a twisting motion in order to leave a node for the next grape to grow or the next coffee bean to grow so um mm. so that's all to say i do have a coffee farm um in nicaragua um in Hinotega. It's a, uh, I don't know how I got involved with it. A couple of, you know, a friend of mine approached me about doing um, a cool social project, organic coffee, reforestation, a cash crop underneath. Mm. You employ the people year round as opposed to having a couple guys with a backpack, you know, and mm-hmm. chemicals and yeah. you got to do it with a machete, right? So it's, yeah. um, we felt it was, a, it was a great equilibrium that we could have if we did the coffee play the right way and uh 12 years later the coffee farm is still doing great and i do bring up coffee so uh i guess another plug is los robles coffee nice. com awesome. if you wanted to get los some good coffee in your cup yeah so Fabulous. that's the name yeah, of the community check those so, out dear yeah. podcast listeners yeah. so it's funny you mentioned like soccer for a worthy keep, cause yeah, yeah. yeah. soccer keeping you on the rails like i you know i felt like that definitely has been a statement in my life whether even in my older life just so i'm exercising and doing something every week to uh you know playing at College of Charleston and this is interesting news I found out this week that my college soccer coach is retiring after this year Ralph Lundy who uh, a lot Forever. of people who <laughs> have played soccer in the southeast here Ralph Lundy soccer camp he's yeah. kind of a, a staple uh, coach you know and he's you know a military guy ex-marine 
exactly what I needed playing soccer at a, a school where the beach is 15 minutes away. And so shout out to Ralph Lundy. Um, a heck of a run, I think, like thirty-three years yeah, uh, coaching at College wow. of Charleston before. That's fantastic. Before that, he was at Erskine, so quite successful too. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, uh, what else are we going to move on to here? Um, I have a bit of a rant, I guess, as our next section. Um, and well, no, hold on. Before we get that, um, let's talk about uh, your kind of opportunities of going to the Atlanta United Stadium and what do you think about the team like what is it that you love about the team specifically so you talked a little bit about your youth playing soccer but um, you know what, what is it about Atlanta United like again MLS just seems like a weird thing for us to be following all of a sudden but now with Atlanta United it's uh, it's interesting yeah I mean you know it's uh we've got a hell of a team on our hands I mean it's, it's uh, easy to um, get behind a team that comes out with such uh, such a bang, great coach, great players, great ownership, management, um, their commitment to community throughout Atlanta is all. I mean, they check all the boxes, right? So, um, You know, it's I, interesting yeah. that you say about the community because during the All-Star game, they, um, I think Uncle Arthur paid for a series of, maybe old abandoned tennis courts and things to be converted to sort of futsal soccer things, just like what you're talking mm. about in Nicaragua. So Atlanta United is following the trail that you blazed. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, there's, um, there's some in- incredible organizations in Atlanta that are doing great work with soccer. I got to give a shout out to soccer on the streets. It's, it's, they go beyond bringing soccer in the communities that are low income or low resources or whatnot. They, they, they take that next step developing the player develop they have a whole referee training program that's um because we have a shortage of great ref- good referees here in the state right. i mean they're and um the atlanta united has taken a stake into their um soccer station program yeah. sanjay patel is doing an incredible thing with turning you know putting it on the line right mm. putting on the martyr line yeah um our former podcast guest carmen, carmen butler would be super she's on the board because she's yeah. on the board. Yeah, so absolutely. Great to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah, and even during the Campeones Cup, they did a. Um, they had the, the the team from Mexico. They were at Cross Keys High School, and they they laid down a whole new um, field of sod wow. um, goals. Put a huge mural mural on there. So, um, so I just think they're they're firing on all cylinders. I mean, they're exciting to watch. I, I have enjoyed the. I think the last, you know, five or six games, they really I think turned on the. The speed, um, I think that's the brand of soccer that they want to play, um, and it's certainly enjoyable to watch. So being down, being able to go down and watch some games in person in the stadium is like, is like no other. Um, it's just something new. I think it's brought not only a, a team of players together, an organization together, but a, but a, uh, a city that has had so much influx from other parts of the country, California, New York, Miami, what have you. They come to Atlanta, and it's something new we can all embrace. And so it's kind of a – for me, it's it's a new chapter that I enjoy reading every week. So yeah. every game is is fun. So, yeah, I definitely enjoy the, the run of wins we've had, and particularly uh, the last one beating Orlando, which gets <laughs> me to my rant. Okay. Oh, which, yes. Since I don't have much to complain about with Atlanta United right now, why not <laughs> complain about Orlando? Because Orlando sucks. First, it's in the state of Florida, which I'm not a big fan of. I mean, look, Miami – at least it's close to the Caribbean. They've got that going on. They've got some food and a little bit of culture. It's not my thing, 
uh, Miami, but at least I get it if you wanted to go there. Like it's by the water, right? Although their field, their chosen field site for the new Miami team has turned out to have toxic waste in it now, so uh, they're on hold. <laughs> well, they, well, that's not good. But, yeah, <laughs> supposedly you can go, you know, fishing and snorkeling, but yeah, you might might want to watch out for that toxic waste. I guess. <laughs> so, um, you know, Orlando though, like I don't know, it must be. It's got to be one of the worst cities I've been to. I mean, you know, I just was there recently for a conference. There's like no landscape. It's in the center of Florida. You're driving through. You're looking for something pretty, like a tree, a bush, something. And it's just, it's awful. It's hot and it's in the middle of a state that's sinking underwater. I'm sorry. It's just, um, I have, you know, everything there is tacky. Like... Disney, okay, go once, fine. I'm just not a Disney person either. And, you know, and like Sam Kennison, my favorite comedian from the 80s, like, you know, if you live in the desert in a thousand years, it's still going to be the desert. Move to where the food is. It's kind of the same problem, Orlando. <laughs> and New Orleans, my least favorite football team, too. I like Drew Brees and all, but they're swamp people and they always are looking up to Atlanta. Same with Orlando. They're just looking up to Orlando and they're just jealous. And it's because they live in a terrible city. And, um, you know, seriously, I mean, if you are going to move to Florida, why would you not move at least near the water? I just don't get it. Um, what do you think about them calling up themselves our rival when it's eight hours away? Yeah, I think <laughs> six, I think that's it was a minutes. well, that's the thing. It was a forced rivalry, and like it, it's clear that you know someone like a Nashville will be more of a proximity type of rival, hopefully over the years and. You know, rivalries in the MLS have shifted a lot since 1998. So now that you're getting more of like the Derby type of LAFC versus Galaxy and NYFC versus Red Bulls, I think you're going to start to get more of the traditional local rivalries. Mm -hmm. And imagine like, I don't know, like 10 years from now, could there be two Atlanta teams? I don't know. Maybe. That would be really interesting. Though. That would that's an interesting. Like, I mean, prospect. think about it. The, the, there's definitely the fandom for it, right? And just people would be... Devil's advocates Perhaps. just to do it, right? so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think um, I think you know once Miami starts in in Florida, that Orlando will have a, a new restart to actually maybe so that will be win. their rival, and then we'll just take up Nashville, which is a lot closer and more maybe more yeah. geographically. Well, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, like, who should be our rival? If there was a rivalry with Atlanta United, who well, would it be with? I mean, I think right like, now it's, it's as far as quality soccer, it's the Red Bulls, and there's really something there every time mm -hmm. we like. There's there's some aggression on the field between those two teams. I think Orlando is a little bit more poisonous just because of a little bit of their fans and our fans, like having a, a little bit of a history like yeah, i was reading an a article couple of incidents there's been weird, like even like from like incidents. before the before yeah. we were an mls team like i guess they stole a bunch of like flags from like the ML, like that just shows you orlando fans they stole a bunch of atlanta united flags from the supporters group right. and then like hung them in their stadium mm. like when we went down there like okay mm. you're thieves and you know that's just it just shows a little bit of yeah, who they are. Yeah, and Atlanta nice was trying to, at that point, when we didn't know that we were going to have this great grassroots support, they were trying to, you know, make sure that they had some, you know, uh, excitement around the club. And so they, they put up that billboard the first time that we um, played at Orlando, basically saying, you know, it's a rival, blah, blah, blah. Atlanta United paid for the main billboard in town. And I think MLS pushed that a little bit because they were trying to be like, that was going to be our rivalry game. Um, 
but and then the Orlando fans took umbrage to that and they had to take it down after 24 hours but I gotta say like I mean (laughs) the game what was that Friday night yeah, I mm-hmm. was like, yeah. do not lose this game. Like, I, like, I at least it felt that It was definitely way. a trap game. It was definitely a trap game, and I'm like, please, just... We, we're going to lose, obviously, at some point. But I was like, just don't do it right now. Let's just put another one on the books. And yes, Orlando's eventually going to win, but just not tonight. Yeah, don't go out like that. It was yeah. That was a tough, tough first half. So let's talk about that game a little bit, because the first 20 minutes, and that's what I found even funnier for the people that are sorry enough to live in Orlando, my favorite city is that, man, that must have been amazingly painful for oh them to gosh. watch the first 20 minutes of that game. <laughs> they all work at Disney. These are the happiest people on earth. <laughs> Mikey Dubs. I mean, their team should have scored like five goals in the first 20 minutes. Oh my what gosh. happened? Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. It was just a... Can't yeah. finish. Couldn't finish. And, uh-huh. you know, when you watch a game like that, and I, it happened to us the other, the other week, and I was like, this is a game we're going to lose. And yep. somehow we didn't because we had so many chances. But usually when you miss that many opportunities in the first 20 minutes of the game it's like you were going to lose guaranteed and yeah that's that was what the portland to match where the first 20 minutes yeah. we were just all over him and we didn't score and mikey Dawson and i looked at each other like uh you know it's gonna come back to bite us yeah, <laughs> yeah and luckily it, it did that night and and somehow orlando just couldn't put it together and you know as the game went on atlanta's quality just started to show you gotta feel for them they've never made the playoffs yeah well, and there's a lot of teams that make the playoffs. This is not a league where, you know, two teams make the playoffs. Yeah, they've they never pre- even made the playoffs. Yeah, they pretty much give like a free pass. Well, I mean, we're not even talking been... about winning something. We're talking about yeah. just getting in the show. Kind yeah. Of. yeah, getting your foot in the door. They make it. They make it uh, rather easy. The MLS. And their fans have been really supportive. Like they've had, you know, good crowds, and and they keep coming. And so, you know, God bless them. They, they really Good did though. Them. If you looked at the um, the game, I, I couldn't believe it when I watched watched like the highlights. There were a ton of Atlanta fans in the Orlando stands. Like when we scored, and I saw how many hands went up and like were cheering. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like it was 50-50. Guzan will make a save. You need to hear the goos. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I want to say it was close to fifty percent from what yeah. I was just eyeballing on the TV. That'd be amazing. That's that amazing. It's a six-hour drive. Or yeah, whatever it is six-eight-hour drive. But I think maybe just some of the people in Orlando are Atlanta fans. They might have I'd rather <laughs> just pick a winner. <laughs> are you saying conspiracy theory yeah. here on the podcast? Could the be. Orlando fans have converted. Um, all right. Orlando, uh, we, we won. Uh, let's move on to Portland. We're very sorry for you. Portland, keep I thought. The, keep up the good support. Portland, I thought, was a better win. Um, that's Much tough better. to get on an airplane, go out to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. They had only lost one game at home. Yeah, on a fluke. And we had lost a lot away. We games. hadn't done anything on the road. <laughs> yeah, we had not. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I felt like PT was really good in that game, if mm-hmm. I uh, recall. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the one he drew? One penalty, which should have been two. And Pogba got the. Or was that the? It was the one where the pe- that was the one where the penalty wasn't called. Yeah, oh, that that's was the right. one where it wasn't that's called. Right. Okay, yeah, and that's the, is that the one we were just watching the the YouTube yeah. clip? Yeah, where the MLS commentary, the MLS yeah. refereeing actually admitted that that should have been a penalty kick, and yeah. there's been a lot of controversy about that because some people said that you know doesn't get calls anymore because he's a diver. Um, 
I actually, we've talked about this a bit on the podcast. I, I don't actually think Petey's a, a diver, and I think you're seeing less and less of that. I think it's just a, uh, it's a natural reaction to the league. So he comes from Argentina, and he's used to having to go down to get those calls, and that's the way it is there. And so he just came here, and he was just playing you know, the same game, right? And so he's adjusted. I yeah. think he's very quickly adjusted. He, he, he's adjusted, but I think for the... In my view, as calls should get called, he's adjusted to the way it should get called because he was a little bit of a diver, in my opinion, towards the beginning of the season where he was already simulating before the contact was made. And yes, then there was a little bit of contact, but not enough. Whereas now there's contact being made. And yes, then he's going into the motion of simulating it, which I'm fine with. Once you get hit in soccer, unfortunately, there's no benefit sometimes from being too tough, go ahead and, and get, get the call But in fairness to Petey, you know, the other players who came from Argentina were attacking players, Barco and Almarone, were the exact same way. People don't remember that in the yeah. early days for Almarone, but he used to go down at the drop of a hat, well, and he learned, you know, okay, that's a different, it's just a different reference. Yeah, and certainly Barco did, and he, he figured it out as well. Yeah. But yeah, Barco's sometimes still not getting those called. Like, he, he got absolutely hammered. Um, the other game and, and yeah. you know and there was, there was one too with uh, PT in the corner against the Portland game It was a, he didn't get the call it was crazy he was like in the corner and the guy just like smashed into his back full speed mm-hmm. and I remember that I, I'm just like how is that not a call like I don't understand that um, so yeah he's still not getting some calls that um, I'm scratching my head on now which at the beginning of the season I felt like he was diving a little bit and being soft like we saw early on with Barco. But the other thing that's going on with Petey is that, you know, early in the season, he would get a step on a guy and he was trying to do this cutback, you know, cheeky stuff. Yeah. Now he's going, he's like trying to hold him off. And it's funny because um, in the the preseason stuff that I saw, which admittedly was not, you know, full games, it was sort of highlights and things, he was doing all that. Yeah. And then the season started and he was kind of... Not and you know all of a sudden now you see him he gets a half a step and he's trying to use his body and drive into the penalty area yeah. and try to go to goal. Yeah, and he's um he's making that move in the midfield which you saw like on YouTube when he was at River Play where he does that like those really smooth little balance moves around people and he's doing that the last five games you're starting to see his quality where he's just burning people either doing a little nutmeg or that little. I don't know how he does a little sly, little side sidestep around people. Um, he's still missing the final touch, though. Like he's yeah, coming finish. close, he's the going finish, right yeah. by the the post. But yeah. um, there's definitely some where he should be finishing those that he's not. The interesting thing I've noticed about him now too is that you know he's a left-footed player. He wants to go to his left and hit. He can obviously hit, absolutely annihilate a ball with his left foot yeah. but the interesting thing is that defenders are sort of overplaying him for that and he's showing look I can go right too and when he's gone right he actually hasn't really made, made a move he's just been like I'm going to keep going with my right and the defenders are keep waiting and waiting and waiting for him to come back to his left and he never does and they're like oh <laughs> too late <laughs> by the way how insane was that save uh, that the guy headed it out of oh, yeah, the chopper right. 90 like oh, on that God. free kick he had I and mean, yeah. it was yeah. I mean, yeah, you maybe can't do any better. You can't do game. any better, and that guy was like what six seven. I don't know. He felt like he was the tallest player on Portland's team <laughs> at that moment. Anyway, yeah. I don't know how he got up there and and it was a sensational a, free kick. Yeah, I mean, he can really hit a ball. Yeah, 
It's only a matter of time. And his and his assists are phenomenal. I mean, when he, I think we might see the best of Pitty's play, not in scoring goals, at least in his the first yeah. chapter here. And it may, it may be his creativity. And I think his ease on the ball, like you're saying, you're beginning you're yeah. beginning to see not all the nutmegs. I thought we were going to have a nutmeg uh, counter this this <laughs> year, right? And looking at his play, you know, his highlights from last year, but. Yeah. But he is beginning to find his way. Um, a little, uh, still a little. I, I agree. A little sloppy around yeah. the edges, but, but we're not. Um, we're not about stats here on the podcast. But evidently, I've heard rumors like uh, PT's stats are through the roof in terms of some of the Pass accuracy, some of the me- metrics that matter. The creativity, the one creating goal chances. Yeah, the- his actually pass accuracy is not super great because he's really always trying to. Um, you know, push the envelope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing that's 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 happening early on in the season, he was trying to do it, and everything was so static, and he was, you know, trying to pull off these miracle things. Now, when it's open, and he's suddenly pulling the strings, you know, he's just creating and creating, creating. But it's you know, the offense is just light years different than what it was. It's so much more. Yeah. Open. I mean, some of his angled balls, or like some of his like passes up into the corner are just so spot on um impressive but how about our boy joseph martinez 12 straight and i want to prompt you because we never talked about the header the header the one and you wanted to talk about it last time and i know you were a little bit frustrated that you forgot that's right the header where he scored yeah my Yes, it was phenomenal, um, phenomenal goal. I, I um, I don't know how that is not being labeled the best goal thus far in the MLS, just because it shows what kind of player Joseph Martinez versus Carlos Vela, which I appreciate his quality, but it's just a very different type of goal scorer in my opinion than mm-hmm. a Joseph Martinez. Just to be clear, this this was was it the New York City FC game that we watched right before? The- I think so. Yes, it was. Yeah. 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 Um, it was just... Um, they all blend well, together. Yeah, well, first off, that <laughs> we were just talking about PT and the quality there. When he did that little turn and pass outside to Gressel, who was just... Who was, I, I didn't think it was going to work at first, and then all of a sudden yeah. I was like, wow, what a pass. And then Gressel just puts on the burners and then does what you expect from him and puts this crazy bender yep. up. And it's like, what are the odds that somebody can get up with that type of air hang time? Yeah. He's and not just, a tall guy. And no, and he arched through it, makes contact with the ball first, heads through it, and then through the defender's head. Yeah. And, I mean, just pops the defender, like a little insult to injury. And, and just, that defender for New York City FC is not short either. No. no. And Sean Johnson was looking like he might come out of the goal. Yeah. And, all of a sudden, and, and just, a great goalkeeper, too. Sean Johnson. Oh, um, I think, um, who's the guy that just went to Man City? Stephon. Zach Steffen. Oh, Zach Steffen. I think that, I think um, this guy might be right behind him in terms of quality. He might be the next guy we see go to go to the EPL because like I I was really impressed with that guy's play. I think he won't be long at NYFC. I think he's going to go to England or Europe sometime soon. I agree. He's terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, he does this consistently, Joseph. Like it just his ups yeah. and his timing is just phenomenal. Um, all right, let's go to um, the Campiones Cup. Um, really thought that that was going to be an exhibition game, honestly, going into it. Yeah. Um, 
I couldn't believe how engaged I was. Almost from like, you could kind of tell when the broadcast came on that there was a little edge to it and that I was, that there could be something to the game. I've just felt that from the, the teams walking out and certainly from kickoff three or four minutes into the game, it was full, it was full on. I was pretty impressed with how excited, hey, hey, regardless, that was an entertaining game. Um, and I think it definitely kind of made that tournament maybe mean something. I don't know. It certainly it's felt, not a tournament, though. It's just well, a one-off not a tur- game. Not a tournament, yeah. Yeah, just the champions of Mexico versus yeah. the champions of MLS um, in a one-off game to see who's the champion of champions. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like us in Orlando. If, when Orlando wins a game... They'll make it interesting, you know. It's like yeah. <laughs> now that we've beaten the, the Mexican, yeah, you know, which had never happened. Like never happened. Yeah. Now it's and in it's fairness, it's on. You know, the, the Champions Cup has only been. I think this is the second or third second year. year right. Uh, um, the so it's hard to say that you know we've never won a game because it's only been a couple. But but we have not been able to meet any of the Mexican teams in the Concacaf Champions League either. So um, we've had a lot of you know, the MLS futility against that league. And, and for all the people who are saying American MLS is really up and up and it's as good as whatever, the results have suggested yeah. that um, that league is better still. I mean, they've, they've, they've unfortunately <laughs> put a beat, a beat down on us a little bit. So, you know, for us to come up in that game, you know, granted it was at home, so that's a big advantage, but... Um, to show and I think you know we didn't just win that game sometimes you win a one-off game but yeah. I, I think we deserve to win that game yeah I don't know what you think JT you know I was uh, I was watching that I had I had to go to option plan C to stream this through my computer while I was in the DR okay all my apps decided oh now yeah. is the time we're gonna tell you this service <laughs> is not available outside of the United States oh. you didn't drink any liquor from the bars down there did you I did not drink liquor from the bars. <laughs> I heard that's happening in Costa Rica too where there's getting there's tainted liquor in the bars. Yeah. Uh, there was yeah, a methanol thing that happened in Costa Rica. 17 or 19 people died. Yeah. In Costa uh, or in, in Costa Rica. Yeah. Wow. Cuz usually it's a it's the moonshine, it's the kind of the yeah. the, Cacique, the stuff you, yeah. stuff you buy on the street for like, you know, 50 cents, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. the unfortunately that's the Ugh. But um you know, I but the the game that I saw was a game that I was thoroughly thoroughly engaged with. It was back and forth. Okay. It was fun. Um, I thought we saw some great talent on both ends. Certainly happy with the result. I mean, yeah, it, I was proud to be an ATLian um, in my hotel room and uh, the DR just shouting. Well, the first goal was was super yeah. class. Like. Uh, I think Nagby got it in midfield. Does what he does. He transitioned it over, mm-hmm. plays it into uh, to uh, yeah, Pereira. I think who just does like yeah. a little flick right. to Hyman. Yeah, right. uh-huh. and just does yeah. A, yeah, it was beautiful one touch soccer. Just beautiful one touch soccer, and then uh, Club America uh, really put it on the next fifteen minutes. Yeah, the minutes. last ten, next yeah. ten minutes after that, it was like. And just anywhere ex- will do. <laughs> and, and really, I felt like uh, Dion Pereira really was exposed, not getting back. Uh-huh. I, I forget who the right forward or flank was for Club America, but he missed his first one. I think he hit the hit the crossbar and didn't yeah. go in. What's and then, name? like five minutes later, same exact type of play comes cutting through. Ball's just sitting there, far post. He runs in. You see Dion Pereira if you watch the replay. He's walking. 
uh, early on on that and just not working to get no back. No protection whatsoever. He, I can't remember his name. He played in Europe for a while before going to Mexico. He's a terrific player. Yeah, he is. He, um, yeah, you could just see like their ability is, um, it was, at any point they could have. Uh, and on top of that, for Atlanta, United, I mean, people forget, right? The horrible penalty... Mm. Right, yeah. that Joseph Martinez, so, the jump stop. So yeah, that happened at the end of the first half, right? Yeah. The first half. So yeah, yeah, Joseph does his silly hop. Supposedly the keeper came off the line. A bunch of people want to whine about that, but honestly, you do a stupid hop like that, you miss it. I'm fine with them not using VAR to. I agree. Actually, I think the referee showed good discretion to say, "Look, you had your chance," and yeah. Even though he's off the line, that wasn't what made that difference. That it wasn't yeah. a, like it was a, a poorly taken advantage. kick. It's just a poorly taken kick. Let's move on. Yeah. Great save. Um, I agree. And so, yeah, that's how I felt about it. And then, you know, the second half started and we have a botched corner kick. Uh, probably a lot. I mean, Akon does not do much oh. to help his own yeah. area by being a confident keeper within his radius of what's controllable. Where um, his feet glued to the ground yeah he never moved or shuffled or anything to be fair he saved the game to begin with with some pretty phenomenal saves but in that moment he was very hopefully he can learn from that because he does have some as you saw early on in the game some quality he's a big dude he should be able to command that six yard box local decatur guy too so went to lakeside high school yeah so um so yeah then it just felt like Oh man, you know La Liga MX is gonna yeah they're gonna they're gonna do their thing. I kind of felt like that, and then all of a sudden our boy Larry comes Larry. out of nowhere and just does like a you know Paul Scholes type of thing and just oh, yeah. rips one. And, and he's been doing that his whole MLS yeah. career, and he hasn't really done that. I actually have you know some people are asking me about you know is the Renowitz a little bit past it, and I've. I kind of said the answer is yes. And one of the things I point to is for years he would hit, you know, bombs from, you know, 25 yards out. He could really finish that. And he has not done that for Atlanta United. Yeah. And there he goes. And he shows <laughs> me out, right? Well, In an important game, which, very important, it, like right? I said, I didn't think it was important, but it is. Um, and then it was like, it was ours to win at that point. Uh, I felt like you saw the heads go down of all of the Club America players. Like something changed at that moment uh, in the in the game. Uh, well, we were really dominating. Like yeah. we, we really were playing beautifully. We, yeah, we were. Play- I mean, from the get go, we were playing not afraid. Like uh, you know, a lot of a lot of teams that play La Liga MX teams, like especially in the beginning. Like again, we played like we have been the last six or seven games, where it's been unleash the dragons you know it was like don't worry about defense let's just go forward and we kind of did it that game too and um yeah and then what paul pog or not paul pog but uh, florentine pog but uh you know there was a it was a stupid foul by the the guy that came just in reckless against him and pogba just did a nice little smart move in the box and got yep. smashed into Hammered. simple yeah. simple penalty to call yeah. Uh, very easy. Nothing to complain about, in my opinion. I mean, that's just a no-brainer penalty. And uh, Martinez did not do the, the bounce and slapped it in the side netting. So what caused, obviously, the team now is no longer passing the ball around the back for 25 minutes before we go forward. So what what caused 
Good to Boer's change of heart that we're now allowed to counterattack. Because, I mean, this team, you know, it's this team, that's what they did all last mm-hmm. year under Tata. It was just, you know, get it and go, get it to Almiron's feet, and, you know, they're just flying at defenders. Mm-hmm. But the thing about De Boer is he said, you know, he came in and he said, we're too dependent on those counters with just a couple of quality players. And he wanted to really control matches to enforce his will upon the other yeah. team. I think I think Frank DeBoer is not as stubborn as maybe we thought. Like I he is stubborn, right? Like that's it, you can tell it's his mentality is there's process, there's order to things. But at the same time, I think he's logical enough to realize that a change needs to be made, especially when I'm sure people are communicating from both on the team to him and He's got other staff members that are probably consulting with him to say, hey, why don't we open it up a little bit? That's my theory anyway. And DeBoer hopefully will bring some of the defensive stability that we greatly need over the next couple years. But I think he must recognize we just don't have the maturity or experience yet to deploy what he's looking for out of the back. I don't know. That's my theory on it because even Miles Robinson in the Orlando game had a terrible game. Uh, but yeah, he's had some really great games before. But LGP, Pogba, like there's just – I don't know that there's the right talent coming out of the back yet to create the stability that he's trying to enforce. I, I, had a, I had a question. I mean, I had a thought today because I have not been a big DeBoer fan. I'm a striker by nature. Yeah. That was my position from all the way through my whole career, um, through college, career, whatever, but in college <laughs> – and, um, That's a career. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm, I, I'm, I was frustrated with that. Um, I think DeBoer saw, like what everybody else saw, in Atlanta, I had a little change of heart today. And what I saw was, here's what I think's happened. He knew the beast that's Atlanta in the offensive end. He knew that these were... Um, that this was a very Latino team, a very the spirit of Latino. I mean, the spirit of Tata. Um, you had this team that just wanted to score goals. The Venezuelan Viper. You got Villalba on the back, right? You got all these people. You got Martinez Bros. Too. Yeah. You have <laughs> and a city that lives in Breeze. I think he knew in the beginning. He, I think he did this. I hope he did this kind of. Let's pump the brakes. Let's get the defense together because in his mind, when he needed to turn it on towards the end of the season or t- towards the middle to the end of the season, he can say, all right, now go do what you want to do. But you have some, at least I feel I've imparted some type yeah. of. I thought about that one. as well. Like I wonder, yeah, like it, whether that was premeditated or in mid stride, he realized like that would be a good thing to have them be a little more conservative and realize that there's a methodology he is trying to deploy and that should be thought about in the back of their minds. And then just let it go like they they have the last six or seven games here. You know, I think um, I don't I, I don't know whether there was a method. I kind of believe the latter that he's been because I've talked about you know sort of this seesaw that he's been correcting, correcting, correcting. But um, the thing that I, I I would say you have to give Deboer credit to is. You know, there people say there's this whole him European coach versus the South American, you know, Latino contingent on the team, and those, as we've talked about a little on the podcast, I think he was close to losing the team, and those yeah. players were 
vocal in public at the MLS All-Star break. And it wasn't just, I mean, it was LGP and then it was Martinez said a couple yeah. of things. And DeBoer had this moment where he could have just been hard ass and it would have been the end of the team. And to give him an incredible amount of credit with a public rebuke from his players, he went the other way. He gave them what they wanted. And what that what that says to me, which there's always been this talk in the background that the players really get along with him and there's a friendliness to it, that they actually had a bond and that when those players went public, they kind of knew that they could do it and that he wasn't going to go ballistic because most coaches, that would have been the end. He would have benched yeah. Martinez. They would have benched LGP. It would have been help you know would have fallen yeah. apart from from what i've read like between the lines yeah that's the interesting thing is i think the players do really like him and obviously they respect him because i mean look at his resume yeah. right so there's got to be an inherent amount of trust there but in terms of philosophy you know i mean i think coming from a tata squad they're they're feeling that yeah they they do need to be heard for him to understand like how this league works how the momentum of 2018 could carry over with the way that um they're a little more offensively minded, and I think that was like the the sentiment from Martinez is like we're a we're a forward uh, style team, and of course if, you expect that from a guy like Joseph. But if you want to be really cynical, you could say that we did all this around the world and back again, and ended up right back where Tata had the team. This the the style yeah. and the tactics are very similar to what Tata did last yeah. year. Now. Which is what Frank DeBoer <laughs> said he wasn't going to try to move away from to begin yeah. with, right? So then you're not he, so cynical. Yeah, he did, but then, and but you know, there, you know, it's very difficult without being behind the scenes because there was yeah. also a lot of injuries. There were different players. That's Some of it the was big forced. thing for me. Some like, yeah, I, I feel like the injuries, like, and that's the exciting thing right now. Like, and after watching that little YouTube clip of the MLS. I don't even know what show that is with Bobby Warshaw or whatever, but like who is like in my mind, it's very easy to say that Atlanta United at this moment. I I would agree with our ninety two nine, the game people <laughs> that say we're number two right now behind LAFC because here's here are the facts. We haven't lost uh, in the last six games, and we're like I, I don't know maybe like eight out of our last nine or something like that. It's a pretty strong run we're on. Mm-hmm. Um, we won the Campiones Cup. We, there's a lot of extra games in our schedule. We're going into Tuesday to maybe win the U.S. Open Cup. Um, Mart- uh, Martinez is 12 games straight with a, a goal. P.T. Martinez is finding his form. We just got Barca back healthy, and he's not in form yet. He's, I mean, he had Correct. a couple great moments in the last game, but he's just not firing like the way that he, he should be our best player. Mm-hmm. He has the potential to be our best player and he's not even there yet. So you got PT who's coming into his own, who's not finding the back of the net. That's like his last little thing he needs to do. Barco could explode at any moment. You hope he does. And Joseph's just doing his thing. And you got Darlington mm-hmm. Nagby who's amazing. Uh, I just don't know how you can't say Lenny United, who's the 2018 champion aren't number two MLS you you guys who are self-righteous I hope you're listening to this podcast I'm now that I'm talking about it you should listen to yourselves are you kidding me we're the <laughs> we're the 2018 champions 
And we could get our, you know, George Bello, who's a 17-year-old back towards the end. There's so much that could happen momentum-wise. Tito Vialba, he's gotten like 12 minutes this year. I don't know. You got? Am I? Am I just a homer or? I think you're 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 right. I mean, think about the um, maybe that was our role right. players playing their role, our um, superstars coming into their prime, our people you know who are on injured reserve coming off already. I mean, it's almost it almost poses problems. in what do you do with Bello when he comes back? Do you right. insert him right away? Is there enough time? You know, it, but the guys that we've brought on. Um, I mean, let's give credit where credit's due. And Miriam's Miriam, done, done yeah. pretty darn well. When Terrific. That, he does a little dribble down at the base and, and passes it back. I mean, he's created a lot of stuff. And his Hyman. defensive work has been terrific. He's I been mean, every, who would have thought that Miriam, who's never defended a moment in his life, it could be covering in the back, and he's been pretty good. He's been pretty good. Protecting yeah. the back. No, I think he around has. the horn. I mean... One of well, the things your opinions change a little bit since one degree better. In the last oh well, podcast. he's still a shambolic one-on-one so defender. Maybe, but yeah, he's, maybe. <laughs> no, he had like a he had like an ultimate uh, yeah. comeback rescue and out of the box. Uh, yeah, is it last? Is it yeah. Portland? Well, well, I I would say his defensive effort's been phenomenal, yeah. and that's all you really need is yeah. to give coverage. As a one-on-one defender, there've yeah. been moments where sure. he's shambolic. Yeah. But he's showed that he's played all his life as an attacking player. But what I was saying is, do you miss Breck Shea? No. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. ever going to miss Breck, Breck Shea. if you're listening, buddy, I hope your surgery, yeah, hope ACL, healthy, goes... Yeah. And now you, nothing but the best. There's competition. You fight back. You know what the bar is now. It's Miriam. And um, I don't think you're going to get your but starting. Going yet. to your controversy, you know, this is a social media thing about whether Atlanta United is clearly the number two behind LAFC, who is... Out of the stratosphere, you know. Even are if, they though? I don't think so. Is yes, it a couple players yes, they or is are. it the team? No, you know what I mean. I no, mean, they're out of the stratosphere. So Atlanta United is the second best team in MLS in goal differential at the moment. We're like plus fourteen or something like that. LAFC is plus forty five. Yeah, right. I mean, they're they're thirty goals ahead of any other team in MLS. That's that's pretty. Uh, Here's one, and then there's we'll start the next countdown so, at 15. Right? If if I was betting though, yeah. honestly, and particularly at home against Atlanta United, mm. um, I think the quality of Atlanta United is just a better team than LAFC. I I just do. Carlos Vela, like when we played him, he do, like he got a BS penalty kick. True, total BS diving, which I did. But did you see the goal this week? I didn't. I don't, yeah, I'm, he was toying, toying with San Jose. Now you can argue. I mean, I don't. I want to say you're actually talking about. You know, we talk a lot about defending sometimes, or at least I do, yeah. because it's my pet peeve. And we're talking about Miram. Uh, if not any of the defend. podcast listeners watch the goal, you should go and watch it on YouTube or whatever. It's a phenomenal goal, but and Vela makes the center defender from San Jose look like a cone. But if you watch his eyes. He's looking at Vela's chest. You're like, the ball's not there, person. Right? The ball's down there. Like, who taught him how to defend? You should never, ever get beaten that badly. And he wasn't even looking at the ball. It was terrible. But I would say I actually totally disagree with you. Um, If you go back to Vela, although Vela's a little bit of a weird personality and has had some history with Mexico, but this guy is... He was a top... 
three, four, five score in Spain in La Liga for years. He's a class player. Like this is not like him suddenly getting good and yeah. lighting up MLS. He has been an elite striker for a long time. He's I great. Don't disagree with Carlos Vela's quality. I don't particularly like him as a player, sure. but I respect him as being yes, maybe one of the top three players in MLS. Mm. I mean, and I would argue his, at the moment he's the best player. I, and I, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, don't particularly like the way that his style of play, but that's maybe just the game he played against Atlanta really rubbed me the wrong way. But even that game, and I watched from a bar on Folly Beach, South Carolina, so I didn't pay attention to that game as, as much as I could the 90 minutes. But I felt like Atlanta did not get any favors, not that you would expect that from the ref on their home turf. The penalty kick call was soft. I mean, really Yeah, the soft. penalty kick True. was soft, and there was other moments where we should have gotten some calls our way sure. big time that didn't come. <clears throat> And if, if they but, would have, it would have been 4-4. And really, yes, shouldn't have been the lapse of 15 minutes to let those goals in like we did yeah. with that crazy window. I, I that just, window, they looked like they could run us off the, the earth. Like they could have scored, you know, they looked like they were going to score 15 goals. Yeah. Um, and so I, you got to applaud our resiliency. And actually, I thought, you know, looking at the the overall game, especially once we took control, we really had them, and we probably deserve to tie that game or maybe even win it coming back. But that being said, when they were at full flow, I mean, we looked like we were hanging on for dear yeah. life. You know who also is, wasn't in that game? Heinemann, I don't believe. Correct. Barco. Yeah, Barco was hurt. A PT play. Martinez that is hitting his stride. Yeah, true. Tito Vialba. Uh, I'm not sure Pogba played in that game. I no, can't I remember. Okay. Who, um, surprisingly, yeah, he scares me in getting burnt on speed, which especially with an LAFC would definitely be a crutch. But hopefully Bello will come back. He's put in 45 minutes on ATL2 last week. So if we get, Yeah, he's looking good. Yeah. But I tell you, he's not looking good as... Pogba trying to run back. No. Did, have you seen his like his legs are like? Well, pegs. also, what's up really with him pulling move? his shorts up like this? Like, yeah, LGP is rubbing off on people, man. He has oh. weird moments too. Like, there's, yeah. Um, was it maybe the Orlando game in the U.S. Open Cup where we're up one nothing? You know, fairly late in that game, 60th minute or something. He's flying up the field, and you're like, yeah. uh. We don't have that great of defense. If we're at one nothing, you know, I'm not saying you can't ever go forward, but you don't need to be running off the ball <laughs> going forward. He did like, get us the penalty kick the other game. Yeah, so he you, did. He yeah. shows up in the penalty area, but you're like, uh, why are you in the penalty area at that moment yeah. in the game? But I will say when the when the Rush ball of blood to the head is when the I ball has slowed down and he is man on man. There's yeah. he gives me as much comfort as Nagby. Yes, he very in those moments. He's just like you want some of my hip. There you go. And he's an aggressive passer, just like his yes, brother. He you is. Know, yeah, he he's really got great... has a adventurous side to you know. Sometimes out of the back, you worry, but he can really pass the ball. He can, yeah, and he yeah he puts people into space, like you said. Um, he finds the front foot of you know the outside backs versus the back foot of like. Uh, you know the outside back to, like you said, to prevent the two types of crosses where you're cutting back right. to you know slow slow things down and, and cross it versus 
making them go into the corner and cross the ball. You see more of that from Pogba, which I like. Is this our moment to talk briefly about the MLS playoff structure as we're coming down the home stretch? Because sure. so LAFC, it's ridiculous. Who is clearly going to have the best? They're going to win the supporter shield. They're they're the only yeah. way that we could catch them. I think they would have to lose everything, and we'd have to win everything. They're yeah. they're, they're fifteen points ahead of us or something. Jeez. Uh, it's 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 done. Right? Yeah, it's not going to happen. So that means that they have home field throughout. So if they get to the final, we got to go to LAFC. And I think that, to me, our chances of beating LAFC in LAFC is not so good. So I think, to me, playoff-wise, if we're going to get there and win it, we got to maybe hope that they get upset by somebody else, which could happen. Because the new playoff structure, it's no longer home-and-home. It's a single game in every single round. Really? The first team, the first-place team gets a bye. Weird. And then there are... um, Two through seven plays, right? Is that right? So, so I don't even know. And then, All I know yeah, is there's five, too many teams. Yeah, it's too many teams. And then, so then it's single elimination straight through. Um, and it's just a home game. So, so, so finishing, for example, as we go into this Philadelphia Union game, it's huge. I mean, we, we got this problem. We got to play U.S. Open Cup and then there. But that's a huge game. If you got to be American and have like a single elimination playoff, make it start from the semifinals. Kind of like college football, the way that they do mm-hmm. it. That's very American. And it's a little more fair if you want to say, okay, the top four MLS teams, battle it out. Let's see who the winner is. Let's make it short and compact. You know, sudden death, win or lose. Like that to me... For a single elimination type of format, hmm. I could live with that. I, how many eight teams from each conference make it? I mean, why? That's not Orlando can make a run and win the MLS Cup at this point. What I, I was going to say, actually, I was thinking the opposite of you. I was thinking that okay, maybe it'd be okay, you know, if you were trying to get to the semifinals if you're the eighth place team playing the third place team or whatever it is then that would be okay as a one-off game. And then once you get actually into the quarterfinal, semifinals proper, it should be home and home again to get a real... Oh, right. It, it, like, something like that to it's make just it... just sort of like the, the Major League Baseball yeah. where the wild card is right. a single game, right? And you're like, that's a, well, that's a crappy way to go because it's sort of totally random. I think what but you're you saying is... you earned it because you've ended up in a wild card spot. I think what you're saying is anything... Makes more sense than what it currently is. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Okay. It's it's truly awful. I hope they change that next year. It's 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 like when they made the clock run down in the MLS, which I wasn't paying attention, but evidently the clock ran down from ninety minutes. Right, originally. This playoff format is as stupid as that, <laughs> if not stupider. Please change the, the rule. The players hate it. Yeah, the, who who doesn't hate it? It fans hate it, players hate it, coaches hate it. It's it makes no sense. Well, I told you, it just you makes know, money for the owners, right? And that the well, no, the driving the weird the weird the weird thing that's driving it, it's not revenue actually because two playoff games is better than one because you're guaranteed. So they love the home and home. You're guaranteed a home game, yeah. right? So why would the owners want to suddenly be like we give up the home game? No way, but. The driving force behind it was there's an international break that occurs 
because the international break is based on the whole rest of the world and the whole European system, which is literally just starting, getting going. There's an international break that occurs, and it was occurring right in the middle of the MLS playoffs. I don't know if you remember last year, suddenly there's two weeks in the middle where we don't play. And so that's been horrible for the playoffs to suddenly have two weeks off in the middle of the playoffs. So they really push to have the playoffs done now before that international break. And this is going to be the first year the MLS Cup is occurring before that. So there will no longer be that break. To do that, they had to both start the season earlier and go to this mm. single elimination format. And you're like, is that really, is that really where we want to yeah. go? I don't know. So we are an hour in. I think we jumped to Cat's Corner unless there's other topics you guys want to talk about. Cat's Corner before trivia. All right. Cat's Corner before trivia. All which, right. Um, yeah, so the topic for Cat's Corner is uh, substitutions. Mm. And I have to look up the history of this, but FIFA only allows three substitutions per team right. um, in the 90 minutes. So there's a lot of strategy that needs to be thought through from beginning to end for a coach when going into different types of games, even looking forward to the next games that you have. So Dave, I was just curious, like as you think about the strategy of using your substitutions from before the whistle blows till 10 minutes before the game uh, is about to be complete, what are the key things a coach needs to be thinking about with his three substitutions like what are the what are the principles that are really important for fans to understand when coaches are leveraging the talent they have to come off the bench well so you know i think first of all i'd say that having three subs is so fundamentally important to soccer as a whole because what it means is that you don't have plays and players coming in and out and tactical you know what it it, it it keeps it the creative, you know, the game is still in the hands of the players. Whereas if you had, for example, unlimited subs, you'd have all kinds of crazy things going on. So I think that's very, very important. Um, as far as subs, I think the driving motivation is the last sub, right? So if you have any amount of time left in the game and you get a player that gets injured, right? And you don't have a sub left, right? Then you have to play short. Right, So that's the first thing that any coach has to deal with, which is when to use the last sub. So traditionally, people have felt that um, you, know, you don't want to use that last sub before mm, five to ten minutes left to go because you're risking it. You could probably hold on for five to ten minutes if you had an injury, but more than that, you'd be in trouble. Now, it's actually interesting with all advanced analytics, you know, how often does a player go off in the last ten minutes? You know, you might think that the game might be evolving a little bit more and you might be more aggressively using that sub a little earlier. Right. Because obviously you use the sub earlier, then you get a fresh player in and a fresh player playing against, you know, we've seen it in a classic view. Tito Vialba coming off the bench against tired players is just yeah. a monster. I mean, he can, they can't stay with him. Those poor defenders, they've been fighting with Martinez the whole game. And you've got Tito Vialba coming in as fresh legs. And, you know, Tito's just like 
He doesn't even have to yeah. make a move. He just pushes it by him, and they, they're just like, Because sometimes he, when you start him, he's too much for defenders the first yeah. five minutes when yeah. he puts the gas on. So, yeah, yeah you, you bring him on in the last you know 20 minutes of a game. So the driving force is basically when to use your last sub. And then before that, the question is, you know, you've got... So the idea is the last sub is going to be used as the last, you know, throw of the dice when, when you know, there's not much time left. And then the question is when to use the other two subs, and then that's tactical. And usually you think about it tactically in two ways. One is you're down a goal, and you want to bring on some kind of an attacker to get more offense. Or you're up a goal, and you want to shut it down and bring on some kind of defender. And this has been the classic way. Um, it's interesting, though, <clears throat> despite all of this, right, you know, there hasn't been like there has been in other sports. You know, I mean, baseball would be the classic thing. So people have gone to this in baseball where the relievers, they have these fantastic arms, but they don't have three pitches. They can't go through the rotation more than once. But they come on for two innings, they're throwing 98, you know, and the, the poor batters are like, they're mowing them down. I mean, a few years ago when Kansas City won the World Series, you know, they had their starters go like four or five innings, and then they were just reliever, reliever, reliever. And what's interesting is because of the three subs, soccer hasn't adapted to that. You know, for example, you know, is there a player who is like Villalba? And you want to say, look, you know, you want to tire people out. And he may be great normally for a starter, but against a little bit of a tired defense, you know. Uh, and the, if that were the case, you could make the argument that a innovative thing to do would start to be bringing on Valava a lot at, let's say, halftime. And just saying, you go... You're a 45-minute player. You're basically a starter. You're good enough to be a starter. We're just going to let them get 45 minutes tired out and you're coming on like a gang. You know, instead of having him, you know, because the, the problem with Villalba coming on late is he's blowing by people, but he only has, you know, 15 yeah. minutes or whatever. So what do you think about DeBoer's subs lately? It seems like he's leveraging Hyman later on in the game to kind of bring a little stability um, he's been subbing either Barco off or PT for yeah. a Heinemann type of player that, um, A, is young, he's got a lot of legs to be able to get back and play a little more defense, but also um, maybe hold the ball a little bit more and not be not try to be as offensive-oriented as... Uh, well, twice he's done this thing, too, where guys are coming back and he feels like... DeBoer is clearly very conservative about coming back from injury. He's like, you're not... Yeah. 90 minutes fit until you're 90 minutes fit kind yeah. of thing. But but twice, I think, now he has... I think before it was Barco in the, that very controversial sub. Yeah. And then um, I think with Remedy in this last game, he's had it where players play 45 minutes and they're they scheduled to come off, but as a starter and coming off after 45 minutes scheduled, which is very unusual. Yeah. Because normally, if you have a guy who's ready to go 45 minutes, you would bring him on as a sub and only bring him on for the last 30 or 35 and then they go through the end of the game. Because the problem, again, with, with, with bringing having a scheduled sub, if you make a tactical sub like that at halftime, that's one of your subs that's gone and that just limits the amount of tactical things you can do late in the game if you automatically choose to do that. Yeah. 
I'm okay with it when it's one player. Yeah. And I think, you know, there there could be room for innovating the game. A guy like Villalba, I think it would be pretty cool to have bring him on at halftime a number of times. I'll tell you, one, one of the things that we loved to do in college um, was we, we were stacked at, at the top, right? We had a lot of strikers, and I was one of those strikers. And I wasn't the starter up until my senior year. But one of the – and I tell my son this all the time. I said – one of the best things you can do for your team is to come off the bench with a lot of energy and go after the, the guys that they're not expecting someone so good to come off the bench. Okay. Come in blazing. And I remember we would play teams and, um, you know, our starting forwards would, would tire them down and I'd come in for the last 15 minutes of the first half and get a good, you know, maybe start the second half or – Coming for a little bit in the in the in the second half, but I got more goals coming off the bench than I ever did as a starter. Yeah, and I think that's a big the big factor is coming in not not necessarily with a surprise factor because scouting is happening and they know who's who's who on the bench, but yeah, it's an awesome so, opportunity. Yeah, because the legs definitely are going to be feeling it if their back line has been in the entire game and they don't make a tactical sub themselves to counter that ahead of time or immediately after. Um, you know that's where it gets interesting with the, with and I think it is uh, like you said, like you began, Dave, with the point. Like it is really a smart move by soccer to only have three. Um, to me, it's kind of the brilliance of like NFL football. The the cool thing about NFL football is the way the scoring works with extra point, the three points, the six for the touchdown. Um, you know, the two for the safety, it creates these score lines that make the game what it is. And I think without the three sub rule in soccer, um, you would have a very different type of uh, soccer. Um, so, I don't know, anything else to say on that, Dave, before we move to trivia? Um, no, I, I, I think that's it. All right, well, trivia it is then. John, I'm on the hot seat. no one has ever run 7 out of 10. 10 is what you need. And in that cabinet right there, Florida Kanya, if you get 7 of 10, you not only leave with that sharp-looking Atlanta or ATL on Fire podcast hat, <laughs> you'll get that as well. What's the, what's the highest score so far? I think like 6. 6. six? Probably, yeah, somebody's coming okay. close. I think Dave's kids were probably the closest. Yeah. yeah, tough company. All right, let's they had do two it. Of them. So I'm, I'm going to start it off too, so. difficult, as always, because this is how difficult this is. Um, this is this is a tough one. When was the last time an MLS team beat a La Liga MX team for any sort of trophy? What year? I'm going to go with 2019. It was 1998. Great. Oh, wait, can I guess? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Was it those great DC United teams? That is the, correct. It was a DC cast? United team. Do you want to take it further? Who did they beat? Who was great back then? Chivas? Toluca. Oh, Toluca. And uh, it's the first time an MLS team has won an international trophy since LA Galaxy did so in 2000. In the context of MLS, you know, this is a pretty important uh, moment for Atlanta to... It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. 
We touched upon that earlier, but La Liga, I mean, the Liga MX has just been dominating. Yeah. Well, you saw even, you know, Club America, the quality. I mean, it could have gone either way. So, um, as of July 2019, Darlington Nagby is in his 20s or 30s? As of 2019. Um, as of July 2019. July 2019. There was a little bit of press about him being overlooked uh, for the U.S. men's national team. Um, And, you know, it was kind of looking at his... I think he's in his late 20s. I think I'm going 20s. That is correct. He's 29. He was born July 19th. Uh, Yep. So let's go. This player has the most goals in MLS history. This player has the most goals in MLS history. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go with Landon Donovan. That is an excellent guess, but just off. Chris Wondolowski has 153. Landon Donovan is number two. He had 145. Yeah, he just passed him. Wondolowski still plays for the Earthquakes, so he's still... He's doing uh, great this year. Still adding on. Yeah, I saw some stats. All right. All right. You're uh, one out of three. Okay. All right. Not good. In 2017, Joseph Martinez had more or less than 20 goals in MLS. More or less than 20 goals. Um, I want to go with, he's going to have, for the season? For, for the, the, in 2017, our inaugural season, he had over or under 20? Under 20. Under. Under. Final answer? Final answer. Correct. 19. Yes. He had 19 in uh, 2018. It's only because he was injured. For I know, he was in half the season, right? Yeah. He had 35, and um, I was trying to do the math today. I think I, this may not be accurate, but going into the Portland game last weekend, he had 15, I think. So I think he's got another two or three on top of that. So he's got either 17 or 18 now. Well, in all competitions, though, he's got like MLS In, goals, all, competitions, in all competitions, he's got like 24, like 20, 25, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he's crushing it still. All right, so you are two for two. Mm, no, I, like, no, two, I like those. Two out of, no, sorry. They're getting better. You're two in two. You're two out of four. Two out of four. Uh, all right. Yeah. Okay. So, question number five. <laughs> this player from Chicago Fire with 25 appearances had zero goals in the MLS, but scored his first in the first few minutes with his Atlanta United debut. Garza. No, no. No, no. He went to... Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is a player Dang, who 2019. came for Atlanta United. Oh, yes. This player from Chicago Fire, who had 25 appearances and zero goals in his MLS debut with, or his career with them, came to Atlanta United and only in his first few minutes. Like, his first touch. His first touch. I think it was his first touch. Goal. I think it was literally his first touch. First touch. I think you're right. Um, DP. No, he no. came from England. Shit. Mo, Mo Adams. Adams yeah. Mo Adams, that's right. Yeah, God, that I was the LAFC of... game where then the wheels came off. So I don't understand Mo Adams, right? You know, he so, came out of nowhere for so me. So Remedy, you know, the the club has done such a good job of stocking us depth-wise, right? 
and you know Remedy gets hurt, and Lorenowitz is now playing 100 percent of the time. But Mo Adams is a defensive midfielder. Like I don't understand why Mo Adams hasn't gotten a chance. Anyway. Well, clearly, I mean, he he got put in there right away when he came on. So you know, I, yeah. No, well, I think because Pogba's as sketchy as it as he is at times, is got some experience that I think DeBoer likes in some of these big. No, matches. but he's supposed to be a defensive midfielder, like he's a Lorenowitz kind of. So you know, or even the other thing is when we're leading the game, like Lorenowitz usually comes on for an extra. Defensive midfielder. When we're leading the game, you would think Mo Adams would come on as an extra. Okay, yeah. Anyway. I don't know because I haven't seen much of him. Um, no. I think he's a defensive midfielder. Question number six. This player scored the most goals in a game in 2005 in a single game in the MLS. Hint. I got to guess. He played for South Carolina Gamecocks. Ah. Uh. Then it becomes one of two players, both of whom featured for the national yeah, team. Yeah, who I played against. Josh Wolf. Yeah, that right? is incorrect. It's got to be Mathis. It's the other then. side is Mathis. It's got to be one of those yeah. two. They're both, both yeah. from South Carolina. Right? So, yeah, I, I played against both those guys twice in, uh, in my College of Charleston days. I like Josh Wolf much better as a person. That's when Mathis was playing yeah. for New York way before they were the Red Bulls. And it was leading into the World Cup, right? I think so, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Mathis was, I mean, a great. Didn't Josh Wolf play here in Parkview? He, I think he played for Parkview. Because you said 2005, right? 2005, yeah. Yeah, so that was leading into the World Cup, and when he was dom, he had the fantastic World Cup in Japan and South Korea, right? And it was leading into that. He scored like. 13 goals in like 15 matches yeah. for the for New York going into that World Cup. He was just on fire. Mm. So I, we, we and played he was them. featured in all these magazines and all this stuff. We played them at the graveyard at, at South Carolina, and I got in a scuffle with him on the sidelines. Is that and, right? But then he scored this like amazing goal uh, from like 30 out. It was, it was a pretty amazing goal. Like looking back on it, I mean, he just bomb this thing and it had this bend on it and went upper 90 I was like alright well with Wolf and Mathis in the field like you're like a little humbled those guys are and Wolf had so much pace but wasn't yeah. such a great finisher he scored yeah. a lot of goals but he wasn't a great finisher can yeah. I uh, can I just put a little uh, fun fact here yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of goals um, in college I had the the privilege of witnessing um, our friend here score a goal and um, to bring it full circle, it was my last collegiate game. And had we won the game, we would have had a good chance of going to the tournament. Yeah. And uh, But it was a privilege to share the field with you. <laughs> Cats? Yeah. Cats? Cats put it to you. Cats put uh, it to me. This is news that, wow, I didn't and, even know you guys ever new. played against each other. Yeah. It was a great yeah. finish. It was a great finish. And I top had of the box. It came back from the left. It was a cutback. It was at the top of the box. And... Right at the beat. top of the 18, put it far corner at the top of the goal. It's great. Goal. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So, you know. We've been waiting for one of those at Silverbacks for about five hours. <laughs> like this leg, this leg's going to heal. We're going to. A little man, older now. Uh, those were those are the days are long gone. <laughs> I was a goal scorer back then. Yeah. All right. So you're two out of the six questions. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. But, it, but here we're going to finish strong. Yeah. What team is the worst MLS team right now? With only five wins in the season. 
They're the bottom of the table. Um, uh, you know, I think the they're in our really, conference. Are they in our conference? Orlando? I think so. Hold on. Oh. Can I can I try to? I don't. Answers? I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> I think they're in our conference. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're in our conference. Um. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the earthquakes. That's not correct. It's Cincinnati. 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 Yeah. yeah. I just looked at that yeah, too. Come on. That's tough. You didn't know that one. I'm not really good. <laughs> I'm not really good. At These are actually pretty tough questions. All right. So. No, they're not. All right. They're tricky. Uh, they're, they're trickily worded, though. They're they're tri- <laughs> trickily worded. That wasn't that Even odd. the over under ones, I do the little psychology when I do them, like over under. That last one wasn't that. We need VAR on yeah. the trivia here. Mercedes Benz <laughs> Stadium uses more or less than five thousand solar panels. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go more. More than five thousand, definitely. Final answer. Final answer. That's incorrect. Less four thousand solar PV panels. I don't know what PV means oh. for renewable energy, which makes the building twenty nine percent more efficient than most buildings in mm. size. Wow! Um, it can power nine. Most of- buildings in size. There's not another building in size. <laughs> I don't know. Look, this is off of an infographic I get, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, it can power nine Atlanta United games. I don't know what that means. Like, I guess it can keep the stadium live uh, uh-huh. for the two hours of okay. operation that it needs. So it must be a number of hours. If only it could open the roof. Yeah. <laughs> I think they probably will here now that it's going to cool down. If it's like it was today, yeah. we could see the roof it's open. Gorgeous. All right. awesome Tuesday's game. All right, so that's two out of eight. Oh, it's supposed to be bad weather, rain, I think. But, the yeah. seats in Mercedes-Benz are more or less than 20 inches wide. Oh, wow. You know, um, more. That's correct. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> they are 21 inches wide. Which is a great improvement over the dome, which are only 19 in- inches wide. Yeah. So that's why everybody goes there. It's much roomier, much more comfortable. Much more comfortable. Yeah, it's pretty Cut sweet. Off. So um, this knows? player Not me. has a tattoo on his neck that reads, Lo que hacemos en la vida tiene su eco en la estenidad. Translating to, sorry, my Spanish. You're talking to the guy who speaks Spanish. Yeah, I know. Uh, What we do in life echoes in eternity. Mm. What player on our team has that tattoo? Okay, I was just going to say it's on our team. You didn't say that initially. He's on our team. Okay, sorry. Otherwise, it would have been. This player on our team. Okay, so, you know, we have a a good many Spanish speaking players on our team. What we do in life echoes eternity. He's got a tattoo on his neck. Yeah, it's got to be Gressel, I mean, the Spanish. Yeah, this guy. (laughs) I'm going to go with um, Joseph Martinez. That is correct. Um, Is there a bonus question? There is a bonus question, actually. What? How do you know this? (laughs) No. This is the first time I've ever put a bonus question on. Um, How many has he gotten right? So, I think Um, four, right? Four or five, you know, I don't know. Just, <laughs> listeners are gonna have to <laughs> ride in, ride in. Controversial. I think yeah. we're at four. I think we're at four. Might I think three or f- three or four. Three or Sorry, four. the most you have is four. <laughs> so either, even if you get the bonus question, you're gonna lose. Sorry. This is okay. But fair enough. Um, so, because I, I was curious about this, and this is how dumb I am, but I didn't. I wouldn't have gotten this correct. 
Bonus question. Why is 17 designated for the fans? Mm. Or why is it 17? Why, why do we have the number designated to us? So like the 17s. 17, well, it goes to the, as I understand it, the year 2017 that started yes. our season. That's, That's a strong that finish. Strong That's finish. correct. That's correct. I got that. I didn't, I, it kind of, it's so obvious, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I was like, why are we the 17s again? I don't get that. Oh. Actually, we were talking about, you know, I don't know why this just occurred to me, but you were asking if there's any more comments about the substitutions. And, you know, w- one of the reasons why maybe you can't get away with doing the kinds of innovative things that I was talking about is going back to our conversation that we've had over the podcast for the last several podcasts is about players or people too right yeah and you got a guy like Villalba and if you never start him is he going to be content is he going to stay in Atlanta you know to have that guy you got to have someone who's willing to embrace that role you mm-hmm. were talking about how you scored more goals off the bench in college you got to have a guy it's funny because some guys would score more goals if they came off the bench every single game, but they still want to be a starter. Well, so I think you're bringing up mm-hmm. an interesting point with Atlanta United in general, which is a, the right problem you want to have. Like the problem you're bringing up is the problem every club mm-hmm. wants to have, which is, you know, you might not see the field because there's competition in every single position and it hasn't evolved into every single position but you know even Bello coming back like he's got to beat out Pogba at this point in terms of not not the fact that he doesn't have more upside than Pogba clearly he does the kid's 17 years old so he should see some minutes but in 2019 I don't know um, a- well, he's trying to beat out sort of Miram because we're now playing three in the back I don't think Bellow's ever going to be considered for a three in the back. Oh, no? He would have to be a winger. Okay. And it would be replacing Miram. I would have thought he would have been the back. I don't think you're going to play him as a left of a middle three. No? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I would think that actually... So, obviously, right now you have Escobar and LGP. But even that's a perfect example. Like, with Bellow, right? Like, who's... He's got to start playing better than Miram. I mean, that's some real competition. Yeah, for sure. Because um, right now, I mean, Pogba, when Escobar is healthy, then I don't think Pogba's a starter either. It's it's Escobar, LGP, and Miles Robinson as the back three. And then they play wingers. Gressel is a natural because he plays defense and offense. And Miram is masquerading as a sometimes mm-hmm. defender. So who's this new uh, Brazilian guy we've had on ATL2 that we just signed? We just signed, the, yeah. What's his, Fernando? Fernando. Fernando. Yeah. Do you know anything about him? No. Yeah. Okay. I saw a highlight reel that had one or two moves and that was yeah. it. Yeah. So. And then uh, last bit of news, I guess we hired Spectre. Yeah, Jonathan Spectre. What do you think about that, David? Because I, I, I remember him vaguely from the u.s men's national team and for a long time he was considered he was from texas i think and you know like 19 years old he got signed for man united which was crazy yeah and then he never he i think he made three or four appearances for man united for the first team which as an american for like 12 years though right yeah then he well he yeah so he landed he was loaned or something and then he, anyway, he played for many years for West Ham, and he was a starter for West Ham United for years. He, you know. So, what's his role with Atlanta United? 
Um, he is apparently the guy who is scouting Europe. Oh. And as an American who played in Europe, yeah. I mean... Interesting. I think they brought another coach into the Atlanta Academy, the United Academy program, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was in West Ham, but um, I like that we are having some um, some good connections over in Europe. Obviously, our, our, our channels in South America are alive and well with the players we brought on, but... I like that we've. Uh, I think we've seen some great results from folks like Hyman that's, that's, yeah. that have come over from uh, from Bournemouth, I believe. Yeah, yeah he, he came was. back from Bournemouth, and he's been great, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I like the fact that we're kind of um, spreading our wings a little bit, as it were. All right. So, as we close down every podcast here, John Thompson, what is it that you dislike the most about Atlanta United? That can be anything from the team, the players, the culture, the environment mercedes-benz stadium something silly what do you got anything well you know i am um mls is sometimes hard to watch yeah there's some errant passes and even some of the best players just kick the ball out of bounds so i don't think it's necessarily about atlanta united Mm -hmm. such that i hold them to a higher standard but i will say the thing that bothers me the most is when normally it's Guzan that when he kicks the ball and it just goes out of bounds. Yeah. You and mean I like can see goal, it coming. I can see, I'm like, he's about to kicks. kick it out of bounds. It's like when he's in a, in a tight spot yeah. and he, but he just kicks it and it just sails into usually the Usually it's right footed. He's left footed. And usually it's right footed where he puts that out. No, I've seen a lot right left and right footed. He I've likes to put it out right of bounds right around midfield. Right around midfield, and it's always like in the same. It's like by design way. almost. It's almost like he's got a friend there. That he's like, that's where his season well, tickets are. Good. And he's like, I'm gonna send you a ball again, man. Get, get your mitt. But it's. Like, yeah. but I agree, but I and I airmailed compliments of Guzan. I think I commented on this like in one of the previous podcasts because I remember being at the New York. Uh, Red Bulls semifinal um, playoff game, and I just was sitting there, and I was like, "Why does he keep on every goal kick, kicking right. it out of bounds in the same spot?" It's like, is this a tactic? So I think. Well, maybe- I think it's if you're gonna miss, that's where you're gonna miss. Yeah. He's trying to not right it around, so get he's it trying out of place right better there. than put it in play. Correct. The wrong so person. I think I it is it. a smart tact. It's a smart tactical move, but it's not as progressive, like you're saying, as. Higher level leagues where let's keep the ball in play. And if play you're gonna time. knock Guzan, boy, did he come up with the save of the great save! Oh, great save! My and God. look, he has how many clean sheets does he have? I mean, respect, do respect, do just keep the ball in play. Okay, all right, gents, we're at a buck thirty. Is there anything else we want to talk about, or we're going to close this down? Man, no. honored to have been here with you guys. Man, keep up the great work. Yeah, Love thank the you. podcast. Thank you for joining. This has been definitely a fun one. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. ATL on Fire. Thanks, everybody. This has been an ATL on Fire production. Hope you enjoyed. All right, soccer nerds. If you made it this far, jump on Twitter and follow us at ATL on Fire. Our website is www.atlonfire.com. Also, If you have one of those awesome Alexa Echoes, Dots, whatever they're called, uh, or one of those Google Homes, etc., you can feel free to just talk to us. Say, hey Alexa, 
listen to the latest ATL on Fire podcast or hey Google, listen to the latest ATL on Fire podcast. Boom, there we are. You're up and running.